Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast, where we discuss the role of art and creativity in the church and in the world. We are your hosts, Justice Stout and Michael Minkoff. Our mission at Renew the Arts is to liberate Christian creativity. At renewthearts.org, you can see how you can get involved in the creative revival that is currently happening in the church. In the last four years, we've given away more than $200,000 in sponsorship value for projects by Christians who are dedicated to their craft and to their faith. For this episode, I'd like to thank Max Moody, a friend of mine and regular listener of the podcast, for suggesting we cover this topic. For a long time, church buildings were the crowning jewel of cities and towns. And to this day, Christian cathedrals are some of the most renowned structures ever built. But today, you're more likely to find a church meeting in a metal building or even in a strip mall next to the nail salon or Little Caesars. Is this a problem? In this episode, we ask, what do church buildings say about the church? I think one of the first things right out of the gate that we need to uh, touch on is that architecture speaks. Mm -hmm. Um, It's impossible to have a building without saying something. Mm -hmm. And it it obviously represents the church, even to such a degree that there's somewhat of a confusion, even in the use of the word church, like people will drive by and be like, that's my church. Right. And they're pointing at the building. Right. And so it's like, obviously that building does actually represent the church in a, in, in not just a linguistic, but even in a, in a, in a real practical way. Mm-hmm. And you can get into whether or not that's a problem. I was about to say, you know you know, some mean? people would say, well, see, the yeah. church isn't the building. Forget right. the building. It's just the people. And I think that's one of the main issues that we run into with um, church architecture degrading to the point that it has mm-hmm. is because uh, the church building itself is meaningless or right. worthless as a yeah. thing. Um, Which kind of plays outside into that of Gnosticism. Yeah, and that's what, uh, yeah. <laughs> if you're listening to this episode, you don't have to, but you might, before, you know, along with this episode or even before this episode, it might really benefit you to listen to at least two of our other episodes. Um, one of them is the episode just before this one, which is Art, Art. as Hospitality, mm-hmm. which makes a ton of sense in the context. I'm really glad this is the next one, the mm-hmm. next episode, because the hospitality of the church, like what kind of hospitality does the church provide its members or its guests in the way that it s- builds its structures? In the care that it's taken, yeah. And then another one, um, which... It was a really fun episode and really undergirds a lot of these conversations is Gnosticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what was the title? Art and Evangelical Gnosticism. Right. And so, um, the, uh, the, the, and that's the idea that, well, the church isn't the building, and it's not, but, but the idea that a building or any, any physical um, things that you surround yourself with uh, don't really matter at all. It's, Mo- it's the spiritual things that matter. And, and not the physical things that matter. And so we push back on that in the episode about Gnosticism. And, um, and so that's gonna really inform this discussion about architecture. For sure. But architecture definitely speaks. Um, there's no way to get around it. Uh, you're not going to build a building and then not have people assess the values of the people that occupy or have built that building. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are going to look at it and assess the people that are there or who that building represents. Um, this is true for every single building um, that exists. Uh, It's self-evident. What about like residential architecture? So you look at a house and the way it's designed and the way it's laid out, um, whether it's in a 
um, in the suburbs or whether it's on a small lot or what its layout is. And you quickly start to recognize the, the different values that different people have who live in different types of homes. Totally. And that the their house is definitely going to reflect that value. It's like the old adage of, um, you know, how do you know what you really care about? What do you spend your time and money on? Mm-hmm. And no matter what you tell yourself what you really care about, those are the that, things that's you, really, what you care really care about. about. And um, in the case of architecture, what you decide to spend the resources of your house or your home on, are gonna, that's going to speak a lot to what you what actually you value. value. Right. Um, like, for example, if you had a, a huge man cave, then you probably value guy time and you probably value entertainment. Mm-hmm. Um Probably sports, you know, if it's a sports thing. But if you have a huge library, then you probably value studying and intellectual, you know, pursuits. Um, If you have, you know, it goes on and on and on. Yeah, I mean, we, I remember my wife and I were house sitting and uh, at a really big, big, like almost like trophy house type of thing in Mm -hmm. one of those McMansion subdivisions um, for a a great family. Like they're they're really cool people. And um, we were, but, but. You know, they, they were, were cool there, people, they, but they, they were cool people. But their their house was clearly not designed with anything but ornament and impression in mind. So, like, they had this enormous kitchen, and it was almost unusable. It was like the, whoever designed the kitchen wanted it to look impressive, but they hadn't thought about how a kitchen is actually used to cook food. You know, oh, like weird. to prepare things, mm-hmm. and so. The, the, the way the cabinets were and the drawers and everything. It was like whoever designed this kitchen had no intention of whoever lived in this house ever really using this kitchen <laughs> yeah. um, because it wasn't for that. It was, ooh, look at this impressive kitchen with all these impressive appliances that they never used. Mm-hmm. They would just eat out. Mm-hmm. And so they didn't even know. Yeah. The only reason we even found out how bad this kitchen actually was is because we tried to cook in it and was like, man... Like, this is awful. Who designed this thing? Anyway, but that said a lot. It said yeah. something to us about not just what the house was designed to do, what was really being emphasized in its design, but also about this family that, you know, could stand to live there, meaning right. they just didn't do the whole cooking this is the house they chose. family meals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, uh, immediately what came to mind is uh, your parents' house. There are some of the most hospitable people I have ever known. And if you just walk into the house, it's immediately it's apparent. apparent because the kitchen, the dining room, and the living room are all arranged in such a way that it's obvious that there's no cooking, division. cooking is actually going to take place. But you plan on hanging out like like there's there's no division and, and you, you expect people to talk to you while you cook. I mean, there's this huge bar with all these stools right where the person preparing the meal is going to be preparing the meal. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you can have a conversation with, with Mrs. Minkoff as she cooks, and um, the people in the dining room are going to overhear the conversation and join in, and the people in the living room are right there as well. So it's it's very obviously laid out in such a way that people, you know, that you expect to cook there often and host often. Right. And uh, even even the, the layout is... Tells you, know, you that. Mm-hmm. You walk in the door and you know it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and one of the one of the greatest, I guess, uh, the fathers of this particular style of critique, of critiquing the the uh, building structures and and actually like 
designed objects mm-hmm. for what they said about the philosophy or values of the people who designed them uh, was a kind of philosopher dude named Lewis Mumford who wrote this scathing critique of the UN building annex, which is really, really brilliant. Like, it's actually extremely um, insightful. But basically, what happened was the UN building was this very low uh, to the low ground, profile, low yeah. profile building that w- that housed the assembly. So all the all of the assembly members would come together in this low profile building that was very squat and broad. It was horizontal, which mm-hmm. was supposed to represent as symbolically this like idea of like equity. a dem- dem- democratic, yeah. uh, you know, even and e- equal kind of uh, uh, thing. So they built that, and then then this building actually wasn't functional for all of the uses that the UN needed it to function for. Mm-hmm. And so they built this annex, which was a taller building, like a little stick sticking into the sky building right next to the annex that housed all of their bureaucratic offices. Mm-hmm. And he was like, what you've done here is shown that the, annex, that the annex building is the true face of this organization. It's not a democracy. It's actually an oligarchy. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to say that. You wanted to say something different with your architecture. But in actuality, the organization itself forced you to tell the truth about yourself Which in this new building. This little mini sky rise next to it that actually houses all the functional, the functional parts. working yeah, yeah. Of, of the organization. Right. And so that Lewis Mumford, that that critique is really great. Um, I recommend reading it. It's it it kind of sparked me uh, many years ago when I first read it into thinking, what does church architecture say similarly? About, about the church, about the church, mm-hmm. about what the and, and when I say church, I mean the people of the church, the leadership of the church uh, together as a unit. What are they think? What are they saying to the world, and even to themselves, with their church architecture? Yeah, absolutely. So if you take a quick survey um, of prominent church architecture trends going on today. Um, one thing that I see all the time is just a metal building. Um, very few windows, if any windows, because you want your sanctuary dark for your worship service, service and everything like that. No natural light so that you can use your stage lights. And um, uh, and metal buildings are obviously cheap. They're quick to build and low, ma- low to maintain, and mm-hmm. um, but very ugly for the most part. Oftentimes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's this one building that Anacat, my wife, and I pass when we used to live in um, near Atlanta. And every time we passed it, we would just marvel at just how ugly this this particular one was. Oh, I've seen was. I've seen a number. Yeah, I've seen a number. I saw a church one time where it was like a the 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 building itself looked okay. It was just like kind of a warehouse thing, but they had put this little thing in front of it, sort of almost like in the UN style as a symbolic uh, rising structure with a steeple on top of it. Mm -hmm. And it was like a big tower, Mm -hmm. but it was in a totally different style than the warehouse. (laughs) And I remember driving by there one time and there were a bunch of vultures just like <laughs> hanging out all over this tall you tower fix structure. That, dude. No, and I was you just I was just driving by going, hmm. hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was hideous. Uh, I remember your brother Micah had the same feeling about that place. We used to drive by and he'd just be like, oh, mm. what is that? Um, you at least got to take out the vultures if you're yeah, part of the uh, Yeah, yeah, you need church. you need to remove the vultures. Um, yeah. So <laughs> the, the there's a certain utilitarianism though to it. 
while at the same time there is a tokenism concerning beauty, but it's sort of a crass perspective on beauty because they're not really taking into account anything other than what utility does this building have for our purposes. And what are those purposes? House people for worship services, make sure to have plenty of space for the different programs that we have going on, um, save money. Mm-hmm. And and also, I mean, if we can make it look cool enough or, or edgy enough or relevant enough or trendy enough to to keep people coming through the doors, I, yeah. I guess, I, I, you know, but like even that's a total shifting target. I mean, it's a moving goalpost constantly. Mm-hmm. But I would say that really it, it does it does speak to this need for marketability and utilitarianism. Yeah, um, that's really what you're seeing with most church buildings. Is how does this how does this market the church? Not even how does this represent the church? How might this new building bring in more members? Which is really a market question more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And and what utility will it have for the members that we already have? Um, so, is, how do you draw the line? You know what churches do have these utilitarian needs, these practical needs. Um, what's to keep a church from just being completely utilitarian? Like, what does? Why does the building itself actually matter? Well, because again, it says something. It yeah. says something. It's like who, you know? I remember I, I read. I think it was Francis Chan, where somebody told him, you know, I didn't really appreciate the worship service today, and he was like, well, that's good. It wasn't for you. Yeah. And um, and I sometimes I, I think that we forget that even though the church is used by humans. When, when the temple was built or the tabernacle was built, who was the one who determined what it would look like and what it would cost? Yeah, it was God. It was, was God. Commissioning it. It was, he com- God actually commissioned it himself. This but is we, the... we don't get that. No, 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 I know. I know we don't get that. Yet, we do have from God an expression in the scriptures and through his people what he finds beautiful. Mm-hmm. And it's obvious that we should be orienting ourselves around his tastes and his desire for right. worship and not necessarily our own aesthetic. Right. So we uh, should be thinking wants. how how does this building not serve us, but how will this building serve God? Mm-hmm. And how will this building in its service to God be a fit rep- representation of his majesty and his beauty and his economy mm-hmm. and his his understanding of human need, his accommodation to us? I mean, all these things are these are parts of God's character as well. Mm-hmm. But but we're really when we're I don't think the reason why these these buildings are accommodating and utilitarian is because we're thinking you know God cares about these things that's not really the usually at the top of our priority list right so and I think that it that that must be it must be at the top because because like we said the church will say something to the people driving by mm-hmm. and uh, I I mean I've gone into plenty of beautiful churches simply because they were beautiful churches mm-hmm. and I know lots of unbelievers who have gone and visited beautiful churches simply because they were beautiful. I mean uh that's one of the main draws of European architecture. Exactly. People would go to Europe and just look visit cathedrals. The cathedrals, right? And the, m- most of them are not believers. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times those cathedrals aren't even functional anymore mm-hmm. as as places of worship. Right. You know, so it's kind of like, oh, well that's not good either. So yeah. And I think there is the spirit where it's like, okay, well, in order to get that, in order to get back to that idea, there's been a sort of resurgence of... Cathedral-esque architecture? Yeah, cathedral-esque. That's a very, very important (laughs) distinction. Yeah. And so, uh, 
so yeah, you have all these metal buildings and churches and strip malls and stuff. And and how do you get out of that? And we've seen, you know, there are a few for, attempts. One one uh, attempt that comes to mind for us since we're in the Atlanta area is the Church of the Apostles building right off 75, which is visible to I have to assume millions of people on a given year mm-hmm. because of, you know, the traffic on 75. Mm-hmm. Um and they get to look at it for a good long while, considering the traffic on <laughs> But um, so you sit there and stare at it while you're in that very time. pleasant yeah. while you're in that very pleasant circumstance. Yeah, great. Uh, but I remember having a huge disagreement with you on that, and I kind of want to stir that pot back up. Um, I remember we were talking, just having a casual conversation about church ar- architecture, and I brought up Church of the Apostles and as an example of a church that was willing to invest, obviously, significant amounts of money and resources to build a, uh, a house of worship that was um, beautiful. And um, it has a huge stained glass rosette, you know, uh, above the pulpit facing toward the interstate. So people see that. And when you're inside, it's wonderfully colored and it's a beautiful design and uh the church's ceiling you know it's a huge vaulted ceiling and a it's for a large congregation so the whole room is very large and um they use a lot of stonework and um like slate floors and so anyway i brought up church of the apostles building as an example of a church who who, that did value that and built its Mm -hmm. church building accordingly and you did not agree with me. I didn't. Which is kind of not allowed. I, I agree. I agree. I, I That's mean, better. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> um, yeah, I didn't agree. And I'm going to preface these comments with, I know some people on the vestry. There's actually our New Testament professor at, mm-hmm. uh, at RTS, Bruce Lowe, who is a, a lovely, lovely, lovely man who I love dearly. Um, is on the vestry for Church of the Apostles. So I know there's at least, and I have another professor as well who's on the vestry, so I know there's at least two people in that church that are very godly and very considerate mm-hmm. of all of these things. And I, so I, I can't, I'm not... I, I, I anticipate they're all pretty great people. Right. So I'm not even arguing about that. Uh, that's not, when I say, I'm going to talk about the church building and what it says to me and what I see about it. And and it's going to be a little bit of a critique, but I, I, I hope that you can bear with me and recognize I'm not insulting uh, the people in the church or even their, their intentions here. I think mm-hmm. their intentions were good, and I think you're right about that. And I think that what you're reading is their intentions. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me talk a little bit about why cathedrals were built the way they were built. Mm-hmm. They did not have reinforced concrete. So all the arches had to be gravity-fed. So Gothic That's Rome, why you have a Gothic arch, because yeah. it has the capstone and it exactly. actually It works. actually, gra- gravity holds the, 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 that structure together. Mm-hmm. And so that's why you have flying buttresses. That's why you have, uh, even the way they did vaulted ceilings, they did it all because of the, of, of the materials they were working with. And, and the arch was actually a relatively recent technical, te- T- technological achievement. Development yep. mm-hmm. in, in architecture, because wasn't that Rome? Rome was the first one with arches. Right. And, and so, so, yeah. So, so, so the, even the capacity to build such large buildings was a... Prefaced by that development. Right. It had to ha- they had to first have this technological um, development. And so really what you're looking at when you look at a cathedral, now you might not see this because we're looking at it from a few hundred years later, but what you're seeing is the height of in- uh, ingenuity, uh, 
with uh, the greatest sacrifice of human labor and resources, spent over hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. So that most of the time, the people who began that cathedral never saw it finished. Mm -hmm. And when I'm looking at something that kind of looks like a cathedral, in that, in that it uses the same Romanesque arches, but not for the same reason, obviously, because mm -hmm. it's built out of reinforced concrete and it doesn't need to be that way. Mm -hmm. So it's like mimicking, there's a certain like, uh, you know, ecclesiastical skeuomorphism there, right? Where it's mm -hmm. like, I want it to look like a church E, it's got to be churchy, mm -hmm. but there's not really so much of an interest in the same sacrifices and spirit yeah. that built the cathedral in the first place. And also, now, you're going to have to bear with me, I view that kind of architecture as dishonest. Mm -hmm. uh, when you take a building that is built out of concrete and steel and you try to force it to look like a building... That, that is reliant on Gothic arches. Right. And that has all these, you know, shout-outs to, to these shapes right. of the Gothic arch, which is the case at, um, at, at Church of the Apostles. Right. I mean, it's a, it, it's a Gothic architecture throwback. And it's so a throwback. Yeah. Yeah. And so is um, St. Andrews in Florida, Archie right. Sproul's church, is a gothic church. Right. And they even have kind of like these um, flying buttress type, type things. <laughs> they're just they're just tokens. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like the PT Cruiser. You know, it's like, oh, oh you, no. like, you like this style? <laughs> you like this style of the old 40s, you know, road wagon or whatever? Well, we're going to make something that kind of looks like it, except for it's garbage in every way. <laughs> um, but it's going to look like it. It's going to look like it. And that's what you really want, right? You don't want a well-made steel vehicle that holds up with high levels of craftsmanship and sacrifice on every detail. You just want something that vaguely resembles this thing because you have nostalgia. Okay. Now, that to me is the main problem with mm -hmm. this, this cathedral-esque. So when you see these Church of the Apostles, you just see a big PT Cruiser? I do. I see an architectural PT Cruiser. A, a, an, a monument to nostalgia with a token of the aesthetic of cathedrals with none of its spirit. Gotcha. Um, and so, now, don't get me wrong. I, I still appreciate the intent there to make something beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's just the, that it was, it was an attempt by people who don't know what's beautiful to make something's beautiful. They didn't understand what made the cathedral beautiful in the first place. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so much just the superficial aspects of it, but rather the sacrifice the the ingenuity, the cleverness, and the full commitment. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to devote my life to it, even if I never see it come to fruition. Now, That's you're not really saying, though, at this point, that we need to... Com so, it's... We don't yeah. get rid of the PT Cruiser thing and just go full-on gothic. No, and actually yeah, full-on road wagon. Yeah. I'm not saying be like a fetishist about uh, the old long, school. Yeah, because yeah. we have new technological advancements. We have new visionaries. The visionaries of that day were great visionaries. Mm -hmm. It's just like the whole, the, the, the classical fetishism that you see within white culture generally concerning this kind of stuff. You mean where, like the statues and, yeah. and just pillars? Right, <laughs> yeah. And, and the, you know, the, the obelisks or the, you know, the governmental buildings with all of the, 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 you know, columnated facades and stuff like that. You're just like, dude, you, I know you're trying to resemble Greek and Roman uh, majesty, stature, mm -hmm. uh, stability, right? Mm -hmm. But um, it's it's kind of gross. Mm -hmm. it, it is gross, actually, in a lot of ways. And because it's mimicry without the substance of what made those things great. Mm -hmm. uh, although I guess you could argue that 
the United States in its resemblance of Rome goes a little deeper than just superficial, but whatever. Uh, (laughs) But but what I want to see is real visionary artists in the church in a contemporary setting who are fully committed to seeing something started that probably won't be finished in their lifetime. It doesn't even necessarily have to be a building. It could mm-hmm. be any number of different projects or any number of different, uh, 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 you know, um, expressions that mm-hmm. represent the majesty of God to the world and 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 in in the church. So there's this line that's being drawn at this point between cathedral as a um, particular style or genre of architecture that would be Gothic, say, mm-hmm. and the cathedral spirit, right, which is a high commitment to excellence and craft, and craft and sacrifice right. in achieving that, right, and um, and a use of the best materials available, available. And this is why it's so. I think that this is this is important for me because what if you have a small congregation? You know what I mean? Is it just well, whatever? You know, just you can't achieve the grandeur of the kind of architecture that we're calling for, so don't even try. But that's not it at all. That's not it at all. Because um, even when you uh, take, for example, small missions, um, whenever the church was still investing in wonderful architecture, you'll see these small missions of the Catholic Church in South America, uh, and they're beautiful. Yeah, and a lot of them are still standing. And they're still standing, and they're, you know, they use local materials because they had to, obviously. And local artisans. And, And, but they put so much emphasis on it that uh, the result is a, are these small buildings for small congregations that are truly beautiful. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that uh, in Chattanooga, my buddy Jesse and I would go to um, Annunciate Greek Orthodox Church, and that's a very small congregation, but their building was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely beautiful. Um, and so it doesn't, it doesn't take a huge building or even necessarily grandeur as such in order to make a building that's going to accurately reflect or that will reflect you know, your um, perspective of God. Right. But it should be authentic. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I'm saying is it shouldn't just be a superficial commitment to a particular token aesthetic, mm-hmm. but an actual deep commitment from a person who is deeply invested in doing the best thing that God can do with the available materials. That's why I think actually renovated warehouses are a type of cathedral. Yeah. Uh, because um, it's using the resources available to you and making it the best that you can, um, but it shows your emphasis for a particular time and place. So you're not going to get this idea of the millennial renovated, you know, uh, exposed concrete floors. Like stained um, concrete, exposed rafter, like grungy yeah. brick walls, uh-huh. you know, that have, were put up a hundred years ago. Um, that has actually become a style, like yep. an aesthetic style like, that churches that have built from scratch, built from scratch, are mm-hmm. actually trying to retrofit. We actually know of a church mm-hmm. uh, that had a meeting in order to accomplish this. It was like, well, we have really nice carpet or tile floors or whatever, but what millennials seem to like is stained stripped down distressed grungy look yeah exactly with a coffee bar over here so let's rip up the carpet let's tear down let's let's put some brick wall up over here make it look old and uh let's you know pull the ceiling down have exposed duct work because that's cool the intention behind those things initially were um 
there were very practical and craft-oriented reasons that they did that. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that that architecture speaks to, the renovation, is um, urban renewal and renovation. This Mm -hmm. is something that the millennial generation seems to be far more interested in than their parents. This idea of reverse white flight, like people Mm -hmm. are going back to the cities and gentrification is a byproduct of that but this idea of we're actually we want to be in the city and we want to invest in the city and the people of the city and we want to take things that have been broken and make them new again and that is a fantastic architecture like yeah. that actually speaks volumes so whenever you see a a huge renovated warehouse um i think that even though that doesn't look like a, th- a cathedral but it, it can have that cathedral spirit yeah, and there are like cathedrals with the cathedral spirit that are actually real cathedrals. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and there's that too. But the thing is, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to go all in. And like the ba- greatest example I can think of is the Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. You know, um, <laughs> uh, which you should check out. It's still being built. It has not been finished. It was started in the 1800s, and it is still being completed. Um, the design for it was uh, was designed by Anton Gaudi. Uh, he was an absolutely devout Catholic, and um, he he designed he he laid out the entire plan for this cathedral, knowing that he was going to die before it was finished. Mm-hmm. And if you go on Netflix, you should be able to see a documentary called Sagrada: The Mystery of Creation. I highly, highly, highly recommend that you go and watch that documentary and see some of the 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 genius, but the humble genius that went into making that cathedral what it was mm-hmm. that's still being worked on to this day and i hope it's finished in my lifetime because i would love to go at some point and see it but you know like we said that's not that there's a, what was the cathedral for that's the thing is like what is it for that cathedral right there was as a center point of Barcelona, where everybody in the city could look and see that is the majesty of God being represented mm-hmm. in and by the church, mm-hmm. right? So, does that mean that all of our church buildings have to represent the majesty of God in that same way? No, but it mm-hmm. should represent something true about God, and it should be thought about. And who better to tell you about what your church is signifying than the people in your church who are called by God to the significant communication of the arts. Right. And so, one of the biggest problems that we see, obviously, in our organization, this is sort of a central theme, is that churches are not allowing artists in their midst to actually have leadership concerning these things. So, for instance, you have a building committee. What is this building committee made up of? Well, probably people with management experience, business experience, money experience. The pastors. The pastors, the, the, the leaders of the church. So you've got basically, you know, king types and priest types who are involved in, in you know, designing this, this is what we think. And they might go out and, 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 and say, hey, what are some of the things that people like? You know, what are the, thing, what are the things that people like looking at, that people like the look of? Mm-hmm. And they might come up with this hodgepodge in, you know, committee mm-hmm. of, okay, so I want this tower from this particular building that was, you know, that was the church that Calvin preached in. So let's have something that looks vaguely familiar to that, right. but then attach that on to this other structure that was made at John Knox's church and Barna, then put that yeah, on. The, the Barna yeah. Research Organization actually did a study of millennials' preferences in 
architecture. So there is this sense of like, well, what do you want? Yeah, what uh, do you want to see? What do you want to see? How can we draw you in? And I'm not even, I don't no, know. No, it's not even necessarily problematic. Bad, it's just study. rather than just asking for that and then having the committee make your final decision, why not give someone who's gifted in this leadership? Mm-hmm. Say, no, everything goes through him. Yeah, and it's interesting. The study, the study found uh, millennials definitely preferred really craft-oriented interiors and like the stain the uh the stained glass that they chose was very ornate and um com you know a complex stained glass and um the altar that they chose was uh a vaulted like the 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 front of the church i mean you mm-hmm. know the, the altar area was a vaulted ceiling with you know uh really beautiful windows and mm-hmm. um so, but a small, tiny chapel could work. A larger chapel, it doesn't matter. Just the, it, the problem is the hodgepodge that's created by building through committee. Mm-hmm. And that's not how God did it. That's mm-hmm. not how God did it. You look at the temple, you look at the tabernacle, they both involved a massive amount of artisans. Yeah. A lot of different workers, but they were all under a central artistic mind. Yeah, and that's, and that's where... Um, we're, we're, we're not engineers, and um, I understand that we can't speak to every detail in this conversation, but um, hopefully, because of the emphasis that we have at Renew the Arts, the main offering that we can give that I think would truly be helpful to the church moving forward, because I think it's very visible, quickly mm-hmm. visible, that church architecture has lost something, mm-hmm. and that um, something valuable is now gone. Um, and I think that our biggest contribution here in this conclusion is, is well, really our mission statement to liberate Christian creativity. If you want to see church architecture um, excellent again and being a good witness for us in culture and being a hospitable place for us to come and worship and being oriented around glorifying God, the best way you can reach that is probably to provide leadership um, a leadership platform to the kind of architects and engineers and artists that are truly called to expressing their faith through their given craft that they've been called to. Right. Instead of necessarily hobbling together some kind of branding that you want your church to have. Right. But rather g- giving a platform of leadership to the artists. Who have been given a vision from God for that particular area. Exactly. And like you said, the Bible's full of this. I mean, uh, it's it's not some sort of like, why are you worried so much about, um, you know, things that aren't spiritual, you know? It sounds a little Catholic of you to mm-hmm. want, you know, speak so highly of cathedrals and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but throughout Scripture, you see how important structures are to God. I mean, he laid out explicit details of how he wanted certain things constructed. Now, we don't still follow those exact guidelines, but it is clear that the way we build things is important. And... Um, and that it's a good thing to invest in uh, in the hospitality of our architecture, yeah. which is we recognize that's the case with our families. Yeah. You know, if I said, you know, my family, what really matters is the relationships. So the house I put it in doesn't matter. No father would say that, I don't mm. think. Yeah. Um, and it, I mean, it's true to an extent of like, well, I don't have to have a mansion, but it's not, you know, what is true is that you want to provide the most beneficial, hospitable, and warm and loving atmosphere that you can. For your priorities. For your priorities, which would 
well, for a good family would be your family, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, what, and what your and fellowship and mm-hmm. and 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 instruction and eating and yeah, you or know, even like celebrations. You know, yeah. people who might buck against the idea of having a beautiful church. It's like, listen, you know, that's a, well. Where would you have your wedding at? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, tell me, you wouldn't choose a more beautiful building. building to be the place of your celebration of your marriage. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, and you don't care what you worship in, what does that say about your attitude toward your celebration of God? Yeah, that... You would certainly want it to be in the context that's as beautiful as you can have it. Right. Because of your view of God, and that's the thing, right. is if, if we're putting, if we're placing the desire to get people into the church over a desire to serve God to the best of our ability and make whatever sacrifice necessary in order to offer our best to him, well, then I think we're more like Cain than we are like Abel. Mm-hmm. We're willing to give him something, but Abel offered the first fruits and the fat of his best. Mm-hmm. He offered the best, the firstborn of his flock and their choice portions. And I think there is that attitude. Now, that doesn't mean if you're giving your choice portions that you're necessarily in submission, Mm -hmm. but it is again the case that if you are in submission, you will give your choice portions. Mm -hmm. And right now, the the church and the worship of the church that you see in the architecture, in the music, in the liturgies, and et cetera, that does not look like the choice portions. Right. That looks like the leftovers. Yeah, and we could spend a long time trying to prove that and like nail it down, but just ask yourself that. Like, look at the worship of the American church. Is it the choice portion? Is it the best we can do? Is it excellent? And do you think that this is what, you know, we should be bringing to God Almighty? Um, so, yeah, I guess we would say ultimately seek to honor the Lord with your architecture as with anything, you know, heart, mind, and soul, <laughs> and architecture. Like <laughs> the strength that goes into the building of your church. Do Seek it. the Lord in that as well and, and glorify him in that. And one of the best ways that you're going to do that as a church body is to provide a platform of leadership to the visionary architects and artists that are going to be able to actually do something that is um, within their skill set and what they're truly called to. Mm-hmm. Um, a testimony uh, a, in their time. Uh, yeah, a fantastic pastor is not going to design a great building, probably. You know, I mean, unless he's gifted in both those areas both those, equally. But ninety-nine point nine percent of the time, the best pastors in you know the yeah. best pastors around are not going to be able. And they need to get to out have of the, the way. vision, and they might need to provide that platform of leadership to the people who can construct a church that speaks. Uh, that said, right. we're going to wrap up with a song from um, Warbler. This is called Zombocalypse. I want you to pay close attention to the lyrics and see if you can figure out why we chose this song. to arrive. 